Chapter 32 God's Dealing with Sin and the Sinner Ur, Judah's firstborn, was wicked in the sight of the Lord, so he put him to death. 1 Chronicles 2 3. Here we have, in one brief sentence, a statement of the way in which God deals with sin and the sinner. It is the repetition of a verse in Genesis, in a very unlikely place, in the midst of names and genealogies. So, God is letting us know the importance He gives it. It's not for nothing that He repeats it. Such clauses as this, flung in apparently by chance or by what is called the transcriber's taste, are full of meaning. This certainly contains a very distinct and awful utterance. Looking at it generally, we may say that it brings out, in a very outstanding and unambiguous form, things such as the following. 1. God's Estimate of Sin It differs widely from man's estimate. It is the judge's estimate, not the physician's merely, nor the father's. It is one of condemnation. It is not simply disease or misfortune or an accidental deviation from the straight line, but it is guilt, which must be reckoned with according to relentless law. Sin in the divine judgment is not something vague, loose, and shadowy, but is well defined and substantial. It is not a thing of sentiment or feeling. But a thing to be determined by the sharp test of unchanging law, law interpreted by an inflexible tribunal and applied by an infinitely righteous judge, without respect of persons, without fear, favor, or partiality, without the remotest risk of mistake or the possibility of miscarriage of justice. 2. God's Treatment of Sin He does not merely pronounce a sentence or verdict without intending to carry it out. His deeds correspond with his words. He hates sin, he tells us this. He treats it accordingly. His treatment of it is a prompt, though he does bear with the sinner, yet this patience is not at variance with the promptness. He is both patient and prompt, yet he is not hasty. It does not take him unawares nor show him as if at a loss in how to deal with it. He is always ready to meet it and deal with it, whether in the open or in secret, greater or less. B. Decided. He doesn't trifle with it, as if undecided in how to proceed or hesitating as to what sentence to pronounce. There may be, for wise and gracious reasons, some delay, but the delay does not arise from any lack of decision, changeableness, or instability. He is altogether decided in words and ways. He is unique, and who can turn him? Job 23.13. See, severe, the Lord took his life. Genesis 38.7. That is, he struck him down and cut him off by a violent death. He did not die the death of men, but perished like Korah. God made a fearful example of him before the eyes of his brethren, though what it was we do not know. When God arises to strike, He is infinitely terrible in His vengeance. He is in earnest, and He punishes in earnest, even when His wrath is kindled just a little. And D. Watchful. His eye is on the wicked. His eyelids test the sons of men. Psalm 11, 4. Nothing escapes Him. No sin, however small, is overlooked. 
Though fury is not in him, yet he is watchful. His eyes are as a flame of fire. But it is not merely sin that God would have us consider here. It is also the sinner especially. For this non-information as to the sin, we are not told what the sin was, seems to be for the purpose of making prominent the sinner. And then the silence as to the personal history of the sinner fixes our eye on the other circumstances thus brought out in relief. He is a firstborn son. To him would belong unique honor, and in him would center unique expectation. Yet he is slain, slain by God. How often do we find the natural order broken in upon and human hope frustrated? It was so in Cain, it was so in Esau. Sin breaks up all order and disappoints all hope. Were it not for sin, the river of human order, family, and social would flow on undisturbed. He is the firstborn of Judah. Judah, your brothers shall praise you. Genesis 49 8. Judah, in God's purpose, is already the royal tribe, and this sinner, slain by God for his wickedness, is the first of the royal line, the first link in Messiah's royal chain. As Esau and Reuben had been set aside because of their sin, so is Ur. Sin breaks the line, and the blow that severs it is dealt by God Himself. But Ur, Judah's firstborn, was evil in the sight of the Lord, so the Lord took his life. And if anyone says, Why does he still find fault, for who resists his will? Romans 9.19, our answer is, On the contrary, who are you, O man, who answers back to God? Romans 9.20. Yes, God is not afraid to break Messiah's line. He can rectify the breakage in His own way, but rather than that sin should go unpunished, He does not hesitate to break that line, to set aside Judah's firstborn. So infinitely does God hate sin. But there is something yet more remarkable. The broken link was to be refastened by the permission of sin as great as that which had broken it, the triple sin, first of Onan, then of Judah, then of Tamar. How mysterious! How unsearchable are his judgments and unfathomable his ways. Romans 11:33. What a strange fragment of human history is this breaking! And this mending of Messiah's royal line. Oh, the depth of the riches both of the wisdom and knowledge of God! See how he hates sin, how he strikes the sinner, and how he doesn't spare even the firstborn of Messiah's tribe. Yet, see how his purpose stands, and see how he can make use of sin for remedying the breaches that sin makes. What a God is ours! So righteous, so wise, so powerful, so loving and gracious. But how terrible the lesson regarding sin! God cannot pass it by. On whomsoever it is found, it must be punished. Even when God's purpose is to remedy it, it must be punished, punished before it can be remedied, lest men should make light of it or think that God is trifling with it. Yes, And when sin is at last found, though but by attribution, upon his well beloved son, it must be punished. He must die. Yet he dies only to live, and he lives that we may live also. 
Judah's royal son, David's Lord, is our Redeemer from sin. Jesus, the true firstborn of Judah, he whom his brethren will praise, was made to be sin on our behalf. 2 Corinthians 5.21. Though not wicked in the sight of the Lord, but good, his beloved Son, in whom he is well pleased. Matthew 3.17. He was treated as evil and slain by the Lord, was made a curse for us. Galatians 3.13. Though he was the blessed one, for it pleased the Lord to bruise him and to put him to grief. Isaiah 53.10, King James Version. Thus he takes our evil as if it were his own, and we get his good as if it were our own. God dealt with him on our account as if he were evil, not good. God deals with us on account of him as if we were good and not evil. God killed him that he might not kill us. God condemned him that he might pardon us. We listen to God's testimony concerning Him, and in listening we drink in the everlasting life. Not only life, but also glory, royal glory. For in receiving that testimony, we are grafted into Judah's royal line. We become part of the church of the firstborn. Hebrews 12.23. We inherit a kingdom. Ours is David's palace, David's city, and David's heritage. Ours is the better Canaan, the new Jerusalem, the throne and crown of the Son of God. We are joint heirs with Him in His royal glory, sharers in His holy reign.